Hello and welcome back to another episode of Burnout Isn't Necessary. Today I am joined by Reiner Kraft. He describes himself as a seasoned technology leader and Silicon Valley veteran. He is also an engineer, a scientist, technical advisor, trainer, executive leader and micronutrient expert. He is a teacher who shares transformative principles of presence, mind management and biohacking and uses the latest science of epigenetics. Today, we are primarily talking about the high-performance mindset, so let's jump straight in. It's nearly 10 years since my burnout experience, and I believe that it wasn't necessary for me to burn out, and it's not necessary for you either. In this podcast, my guests and I share our real-life experiences with burnout, we get into the science of stress, and share actionable tips on how to prevent burnout and how to recover from it. I'm Hannah Holden, ex-management consultant and burnout survivor. I work with management consultants to help them avoid and overcome burnout. I help them to get intentional about their choices, rebuild their energy and embed new healthy habits so that they can get back to loving life. So we are here to talk and hear more about your high performance mindset and specifically how this relates to burnout. But before we get into that, I think it would be interesting to find out a little bit more about you and your story. So I know that you've got a background in tech. You've worked in Silicon Valley. I think you might even have an, a burnout or near burnout experience yourself. So can you tell us a bit more about your personal journey and what's inspired you to do the work that you now do? Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks first, Hannah, for having me on the show. Um, and yeah, exactly. Burnout. Um, I was almost there. Of course, at that point, I didn't know what burnout is, and even if I had one, it just felt like it. But then later, when I got deeper and deeper into what a burnout is, I realized, well, you're actually lucky you didn't have it. You were basically gravitating toward it, but you got yourself out uh, right in. in the last-minute timing, basically. Uh, back then, I still lived in the Silicon Valley in California. And, uh, yeah, I worked in a high-pressure environment in tech. Um, at that point, it would be at Yahoo was the company. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, it was fast-paced, lots of deadlines, the typical stuff what you expect in a tech environment. Yeah. And it got to me, and that... Uh, at that point, in this pivotal um, moment when I realized uh, body and mind are completely out of balance, I have to change something now, uh, that was the journey for me to really go deeper and deeper into this. Initially, it was just mindfulness, exploring what is awareness, uh, how can I increase my awareness, what is, what is it basically doing to me, or how is it helping me, and... I could feel it feels good, but as a scientist, I wanted to go deeper and deeper in understanding what is it actually, what's actually happening, how is meditation, uh, even is my meditation actually in good shape, so to speak, am I meditating right, can it be improved, so as a techie, I like to, to see things more from an analytical side of things, and of course, I figured if it's helpful for me, which I experienced relatively quickly, that there is a lot of positive how can it be done also in a business context? And as I was uh, at that point, I was uh, in tech leadership, and I had a, I had a larger team already in the, during that time. 
how can I use these methodologies to support better support my teams? So that was another question. And then over the years, this evolved because I realized there is not just awareness, there is also the mind. In my analogy, the mind is the software, the mind operating system, which usually in an untrained state is quite buggy. So I figured if it's buggy and if it's software, I can hack it and improve it. And so this whole idea of mind hacking or mind management uh, was something that also evolved. And then I would say seven years ago, I moved to Berlin. And uh, this was a big change for my whole family and myself. I had a great, uh, at this point, opportunity at Zalando, which is a major tech e-commerce uh, platform for fashion here in Europe. And so I decided this is great. Let's let's go there. And then, of course, I was exploring some of these mindful leadership type of ideas on a large scale. But I also used the time to go deeper and deeper into my body. So I, I met uh, functional medicine experts. I learned a lot from them. I got deeper and deeper into biohacking, the science of epigenetics, functional medicine, and so on. I did, did a lot of courses, workshops, retreats, uh, and really got deeper and deeper into the science of how to upgrade the body because I realized that I can the mind can only be as good in terms of what the body supports it at the end. Right? So the body is the underlying foundation, the hardware to support the software. I think that it's, it's great to talk to somebody who's had a near miss with burnout. It's good to hear a story where, yeah, um, the inevitable wasn't inevitable. <laughs> How would you define a high performance mindset? There's these three pillars. There is awareness, there is your mind, and there is the body. And a high-performance mindset means that these three, awareness, mind, and body, they need to have a certain, achieve a certain level of mastery, so to speak, so that this actually, when it comes together, results in something that is high-performance. Mm. So I'll give you an example. If, for instance, you train your mind and for instance you can sit in a meditation for 20 minutes as an example or you your stress levels are low um, so you trained you did some of the training here you made some progress on the mind but let's say the body is a complete disaster maybe you had COVID a few times got vaccinated whatever you have basically almost no energy left that is not a high-performance mindset because your cognitive abilities are now severely limited by the body. Mm -hmm. And so you need a certain level of um, performance in all of these three areas. And if you bring these three things together in a good mix, then this is when the magic happens. Mm. Right? It's like this puzzle and a little bit here, a little bit here, but bring it to together in a systematic way, not this random ad hoc stuff. But as a scientist, I like data, I like numbers, and I like system, right? Structure. And that first sounded, or for many, sounded a little bit uh, counterintuitive. Said, ah, the mind structure, what? Uh, what are you talking about? But it turned out that for a lot of the techies I work with in this space, uh, this concept resonates very well because these the techies, they like data, they 
like numbers. And if I tell them, look, this is how you can make progress in terms of systematically upgrading mind and body in a structured way, in a few months, you can make really predictable progress. That is something that actually resonates with them. And this is what I'm, where I'm at now is when I experimented with different ideas of this program and, and how to tweak it. And I had many pilots running and then basically iterating that got me to this point where it's now where I have a relatively solid way of um, basically helping people to transition or transform in a very structured way, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool because it tells us there is nothing special to it. It's just basically the method itself and the science combined with the data-driven approach basically works well. It can be repeated. Mm. Mm, yes, I can imagine that resonating with um, with people who've got that technical or software development background because it's an analogy they work with every day, right? So, yeah, definitely speaking their language. Um, and so for you, you, you came to mindfulness first and awareness first and then later the body. And so is that how you work with your clients now from a mind approach first and then look at the body or do you do you approach both at the same time now? Yeah, that's a good question. This uh, also evolved over the years. I, um, I initially started with uh, awareness, uh, cultivating more awareness through mm -hmm. mindfulness mm -hmm. and uh, increasing the so-called level of present awareness, the LPA, which is the time over the course of the day, like a percentage that they are fully aware, fully present. Because awareness, I realized, is the underlying driver, basically, to, uh, to all these other things, right? Because if you're not, um, if you're not in, a, in a state of awareness, you can't even recognize what's happening in the mind, what kind of maybe negative thoughts, thinking patterns, and so on uh, are there. So you have to first become aware of them. And so I figured this is really, before you go into the body, there has to be some amount of present awareness, otherwise it's not going to help. Right? People wouldn't, wouldn't even touch the body. Of mm. course, then sometimes people come and then they have severe symptoms and, and things going on. They want some remedies quick. Uh, and, but I, I usually, I, I can sense if there is not enough awareness, it's, it's hard to do anything there because mm. whatever you do, it's, it's like a quick fix. It's not sustainable. And so this is awareness, the most mm. important thing. And then the next step usually is wrap them a little bit with uh, decluttering the mind mm -hmm. using different techniques. And uh, there's so many, so many things out there that you can do. You just go on YouTube and you search for some of the, the tools around it, basically all rooted in neuroscience. There are so many, um, techniques out there the question is more how can you measure what's actually working how you know it's it's actually doing something and here it's usually helpful before you go into the body to at least get rid of some of these things that are causing a lot of stress because stress is the most uh, yeah it's the, it's the most negative thing that can push pretty much everything down on the body side body, the cells on a cellular level, basically, they're locking down if there's stress there. They sense the stress. The cells, they can really, they have receptors. They can sense 
whether you're stressed or not. And mm -hmm. if you're stressed, uh, you can eat as many, I don't know, micronutrients and all the good stuff. It's not going to work because the body is just not absorbing them properly if you're mm -hmm. always stressed. And so the first thing is get stress levels down. Mm -hmm. So becoming aware, get stress levels down. I would say these are like the, 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 the cornerstone of everything. And if that is relatively okay, then one can start going into the body gradually, one step by step. And then you have a chance actually of making some changes. Okay. So, um, so just, just for any listeners um, who aren't familiar with terms like uh, present awareness and even mindfulness. So I think what you're talking about when you said we're interested in the level of present awareness. So um, to be mindful is to be present in the present moment and thinking about the thing that you are doing as you do it. Um, and so this level of present awareness is how much time in your day are you thinking about the thing that you are doing rather than thinking about the shopping list for dinner the argument from last night, the concerns you have, etc. So, is would you add to that? Would you change that as a description? Have I have I got that more or less right? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. So the level of present awareness, so being present, being aware, is the ability to really be connecting to the present moment, being fully aware with all your senses, and you're you're in the state of alertness, and so you're fully there in the here and now, right? And so now if you do that for one minute, this is considered one mindful minute. And there's actually tech devices out there like smartphones, they're tracking mindful minutes. Like let's say you use a meditation app, you do 10 minute meditation, it calculates mindful minutes, right? There's a timer, they calculate the mindful minutes. And then towards the, uh, the evening, you can look back in the app or Right on Apple, for instance, they have nice uh, integration with Apple Health. Then you can see, ah, I spent 10 minutes in a fully present state. Great. And if you spend 10 minutes per day in this state, fully being fully present, but then think about the day usually has 16 hours, roughly where you where you awake. So this is about 1,000 minutes. So you can see that 10 minutes out of 1,000 minutes, so we're talking about 1%. So an LPA, level of present awareness, is exactly calculated like this. So 10, 20 minutes represents 1 to 2 percent uh, LPA. And that is actually, uh, it sounds kind of low, but this is actually uh, what I've experienced with many people I work with when they start. This is actually a good baseline, sometimes 2 percent, sometimes 3 percent. But usually uh, it's, it's kind of low, and that is unfortunately the default in an untrained state of mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. So uh, how does that work? How does it know when you're being mindful? Is it when you sit down to consciously practice meditation and then it times the period that you're consciously practicing? It, it's, mm -hmm. it's not about, because you can be mindful whilst you're not necessarily sitting and meditating so you could do mindful gardening or you could be doing the washing up in a mindful way is it also tracking that kind of mindfulness so so there's limits to the automated tracking right so some of these apps they have you can do freezing exercises 
you can do all kind of formal meditations, body scans, and so on. Mm -hmm. And if the app is guiding you, there's many apps, it's not just one, but mm. if these apps are guiding you through some of these mindfulness exercises, they usually time this automatically, and then uh, you get it automatically added up and aggregated over the course of the day. Okay. But then these other activities, let's say mindful gardening, mindful eating, mindful walk, whatever it is, you can do all these things being fully present. So in my approach, you have to track them manually. So that means mm -hmm. you have to have, usually I recommend, uh, say here, look, use a spreadsheet, use a notepad, whatever you want to use for this, I don't care. Right? Just use something that is convenient, is not difficult, and put together a strategy in the morning so that you have a rough plan on what it is and how you want to accumulate these mindful minutes. Let's say brushing your teeth, two minutes, taking a shower, 10 minutes, mindful eating, 15 minutes, and so on. So you add those things up as a strategy. And then when you execute over the day, you actually try to do these things. And then maybe at lunchtime or in the evening, you sit back, you reflect, you look at your notes. And this way you can, you can sum up those mindful minutes manually that you accumulated over the course of the day. You can look at what automatically gets added through your apps. And this gives you the total number okay. of mindful minutes. Okay. And here, of course, we're not looking for perfection. It doesn't matter if at the end of the day you forgot to add maybe five minutes or ten, and maybe the, the number was even higher because you forgot to actually add some of them because you just thought, oh, I, I didn't know that if I'm petting my cat, this counts as a mindful minute. And then people learn, oh yeah, that also counts if you're present with your pet, uh, please, or with your kid, right? If you're present with your kid, you can also count this. And so that number of mindful minutes counting and tracking is usually a training activity that takes about a month or two to get it relatively solid. Uh, it can be quite cumbersome. Mm. Uh, and I know people hate it and they say, oh, this tracking is not for me. Well, I usually say, if you like results, this is how you do it, right? And uh, in tech, usually there is not big resistance because people are used to this type of data and tracking. Mm. Um, but of course, I also hear sometimes people in tech, like product managers, business people, marketing people, they tell me, oh, this tracking is not for me. I use my gut feeling for this. And I tell them, well, if you would tell the same thing to your boss at work, that this tracking is not for you when they ask you in terms of how your project is going, right, or how your project product is evolving, you probably would be fired relatively quickly. Right? Because this is a certain rigor and data is part of the job being in tech. Right? Mm -hmm. If you if they want to see what the performance of your product is, or if you work on a project that needs to deliver results, they want to see a certain methodology in the tracking, in the instrumentation of how you see that you're actually making progress. And for those people, this is quite natural. But the same people sometimes, then they tell me, when it comes to their mind and their body, oh, no this is not, I don't need that, or I, this is not needed, or this, or I don't like it, or whatever. So there's excuses. And uh, so there is sometimes resistance for tracking, but uh, for those people who can overcome the resistance, because 
Resistance is usually also a game of the mind, of your ego, to basically procrastinate or to uh, not going into this because the ego doesn't like being dismantled, right? Because this is what's happening here. Mm -hmm. The more you are in the present moment, the more you are dismantling the power of your ego, right? Yeah, and you're introducing new behaviors and yeah. your subconscious mind does not like change, does not like new behaviors. This is all weird. Let's find all these excuses to, to not do exactly. this, right? Exactly. Yeah. The subconscious mind, your egoic mind, sometimes they use that term, doesn't like these things. And that's why they know, the egoic mind knows that this tracking actually works and that's, uh, that it actually you become more and more aware and this way you're less and less entangled with all these thoughts and stories that you tell yourself and actually your thought activity is going down. It's another key performance indicator, K KPI, thoughts per minute, right? So tracking your thoughts per minute is another important one. And you'll see people at the beginning, once they learn how to track this, it takes a few weeks to get this in reasonable shape and establish a baseline. But you'll see uh, eventually uh, this number can be quite high. So it's not rare to have people with 10, 15 thoughts per minute, like this mental chatter all the time, mm -hmm. like crazy. Mm -hmm. But once they train the mind, become more aware, this number is actually decreasing further mm -hmm. down until uh, hopefully you reach a point of zero thoughts per minute. This is when you're pretty much rooted in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And that happens with the training, right? So the, it's, it's, it's basically happening. Everyone can do it. There is no magic to it, but it requires a little bit of diligence, a little mm. bit of persistence, and it requires a little bit of present awareness at the beginning. So it's, there has to be a little opening there of present awareness for this to work otherwise right but my experience is for for those people who are not open to this they wouldn't even talk with me in the first place so or they wouldn't mm. go even they wouldn't look for meditation or any of that stuff they would even think this is all a waste of time let's not worry about it but those who have a little bit of awareness usually they are um, yeah they are open for this and then they can use the uh, the systematic part to really make progress in a systematic and predictable manner. So, so I think this is fascinating. You're the first person I've come across that talks about mindfulness with KPIs, with measures and, and um, yeah, with this focus on data. You talked more about kind of input-based KPIs, about how much time you spend in a mindful state. How do you measure the success of somebody's mindfulness? So how would you say that you're getting the results you were looking for? You know, you've put in your 10 minutes a day of mindfulness for a week, and how do we see results? How do you measure those? Yeah, so, so um, there are obviously the, the key driver uh, KPIs for mind, awareness of the body, like heart rate, reliability, mm -hmm. and okay, so on. Yeah. And so those are all um, representing different data points in the body, in the mind for awareness, but in itself are usually uh, sometimes too low level um, because, I mean, what does it mean if my LPA is greater than 10%? And so uh, when I work with clients, usually they're looking for high level objectives. And let's say a high level objective would be I want, want to live in a more calm and peaceful state. That is an objective. 
And this is great now because uh, in business we learn there is something like OKRs, objectives, key results. There's different frameworks, right, where you can for goal setting and setting yourself a goal like I want to, let's say, I want to be in a more calm, peaceful state is an objective. But then what are some of the key results? How do you know you're actually in a calm and peaceful state? Well, now you can go back to some of these KPIs. You can say, well, if I'm in a calm and peaceful state, I probably need to be very aware. Well, what does very aware uh, mean? Then, well, probably more than 10% LPA would be a good starting point. Probably my HRV, when I look at my baseline, is probably also too low. My heart rate variability needs to be improved, needs to go higher. To achieve this, I probably need to put in a little bit more exercise, I probably need to do a little bit more running, I probably need to make sure my sleep score is well above 80 or 85 points per day out of 100, right? So there's now different supporting KPIs that you can that you can put together as key results for achieving this objective. So it becomes relatively clear to become peaceful and calm, this is what I need to do. And this is where the creativity kicks in, because now you, of course, need to know what kind of key results are actually supporting this goal. Mm. Not everything is needed to support this goal, right? For instance, um, let's say eating less sugar. Yeah, it certainly is helpful for you eating less sugar, but is this a primary thing supporting being more calm and peaceful? Maybe not necessarily. It can be, yeah, I, I wouldn't rule it out, but I would probably first think about other things that would go in to support as key results to support this objective, right? And so usually people care more about the high-level objectives, like uh, the peaceful example, calm, focused state of mind, mm -hmm. being more happy, feeling more connected, right? Um, mental flexibility so that when they come home in the evening that they can flip a switch and now in a relaxed mode before that they were in a delivering mode execution mode and of course they want to sleep well that's usually a good example they don't yeah. want to wake up in the middle of the night and then the thoughts are going on and on forever and then they can't sleep anymore and they feel like a disaster and then there, there's other goals like more related to the body more energy Right, being more resilient, not getting sick all the time, and then just yeah, being also more productive. Sometimes getting more stuff done, which boils down to energy at the end of the day. So yeah. there's several goals that um, usually are there that are associated with a high performance mindset. So if you have a high performance mindset, many of these things they're usually your default. By default, you have all of them. Right? If you are resilient, you are full of energy, you are in a calm and peaceful state of mind all the time, right? it's very hard to get you out of the state because you may get temporarily out of the state, but you, your level of awareness is so high that you immediately become aware, oh, interesting, there is some thought activity comes up here that tries to uh, basically get me out of my flow state. Uh, Interesting, but yeah, let, let it let it flow by, uh, not interested currently, and then you're back in the flow, right? Mm. And being in the flow is also a pretty important goal for many people, to achieve this state of flow for many, many hours per day. I sometimes also refer to all these things together as a, a state of enlightenment, 
which is sometimes also used more in a spiritual context. But for me, this is a very practical definition when I talk about being in this ultimate flow state, tapping into deeper inner wisdom, being fully aware, right? It all adds up together, being fully alert, right? And being connected with the present moment. Mm. This is what it boils down to. And there we go. There's a state of enlightenment, which you get for free without seeking for it, like a lot of people seeking for that state. But ultimately, you can tap into it right here, right now. It's mm -hmm. more magic. Yeah, I think it's... Um some would think that that's seeking something outside of yourself but what you're describing is seeking that the peace within oneself and the benefits that come from that because you're more creative when you are calm and peaceful and it, yeah you tap into but it, it's not necessarily plugging into some external thing so yeah. What would be your first steps or first tips to somebody? Let's say there's somebody listening to this and they think, oh, this is interesting, this whole high performance mindset. Where would I start? Where, where might I be able to take my first steps? And is there something that they can do at home on their own? Is there something that's accessible for them? I think there's many things you can do in each of these aspects, in awareness, for the mind, for the body. And so they may have already tried a few things. Maybe mm -hmm. they started some freezing exercises or maybe a little bit of mini meditation, mindfulness training, who knows. Um, and so I, I would say whatever you're doing is a good thing to get started. But what's lacking here usually is the system, the structure. And mm -hmm. that is what, why you're not getting the results. It's not it's not helping if you do a little bit of random meditation here and there or some mindfulness exercises if you're missing the big picture. And so figuring out, really sitting down and thinking about what are these objectives? What, what is it that I really want to achieve? And then thinking about how could I go that I in terms of these key results, so these are called personal OKRs, right? Mm. How can I, how can I now find out that what helps me to actually get to the state? Um, so on my blog, themindfulleader.net, there's a lot of resources out there when I talk about these topics, personal OKRs, how to do that, and so I provide a lot of help there. I think once people get into the, into the into this flow around. Uh, measuring, tracking, and that kind of thing, they feel comfortable with this. They get excited because the first time they can actually see, oh yeah, this is working. I, my mindful minutes are accumulating and my stress levels are going down. This is great, right? So, so I would say there's a lot of resources on this methodology on my blog that mm -hmm. they can just you know, mm -hmm. great. read about. There's videos on YouTube on my channel. Uh, I also my podcast, Mindful Leader podcast, I talk with experts exactly about these topics. So there's a lot of resources there that uh, one can get started by doing what they're already doing, but now adding an extra layer of tracking and data for this. I think this is the new thing here, what I'm, hmm. what I'm supporting, what I'm promoting is basically take the effort and actually start tracking this. And once you do that, and then once people are really ready, they want to do more. There's all kind of programs around mm -hmm. high performance mind that are offered that they can figure out later. But that usually comes at the point 
when they're already there, they started, they see, oh yeah, this is cool, but mm. now I want to maximize this. I want to really in three or four months, I want to get at this at this level and get it done, right? This is usually when you seek out experts, coaches, mentors. This is where you where you learn fastest, right? Mm. Because myself, I mean, I, I spent 10, 15 years on this topic, probably more than 10,000 hours that I invested into this. But not everyone has the time and resources to do it like this. And so much more effective is it if you find experts and start working with them, learn from them, uh, instead of reinventing the wheel. Hmm. Right? And of course, accountability is an important factor that you work with someone that some accountability gets built in because if your level of present awareness is not that high, chances are your level of accountability is also correlated kind of low <laughs> so you you may start with some uh, nice intentions but given you have low lpa it's not going to work out already low right yeah so that's why you need this accountability built in and that's why uh, finding someone coaches mentors who can support you with accountability or maybe even some accountability partner uh, already that could do a trick right? yeah yeah i think yeah so thank you for sharing um where you have your resources and i'll make sure that i include links to everything that you've described in the show notes so thank you for that i think you're so right that it's really helpful to learn from somebody that's explored mindfulness very broadly because for some people a breathing exercise really helps them for others they want more of a guided meditation for some people they're more comfortable sitting in a silent meditation i think that's rarer and rarer that you find people who are comfortable with that so there are so many different and, and that's just a couple of examples there's so many different techniques i think it's great to go to somebody who's tried a bunch out on your behalf and can say these are the ones that you might like to try and that might work for you and what i think that's really powerful about what you're doing here is consistency because that's where people fall down. You said earlier about people doing ad hoc mindfulness practices or ad hoc meditation. And these are practices that really show their worth through consistency, through building up your hours over a period of time, having a dedicated practice that you come back to. That may not be every day for every person, but having a practice that is reliable and regular. And so giving people KPIs to track is giving them a bit of accountability and they can also begin to see that they have committed and they are achieving and they're getting results. And I just think, and then what you're saying about obviously working with somebody also embeds more of that consistency and that's where you really get the, get the results. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I found that really fascinating. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up? It's so high performance mind that I was talking about really is a lifestyle that yeah. you gradually acquire and get into this. And especially when it comes to the body with biohacking, the science of epigenetics, we haven't even touched that. And once you start optimizing your own genes, supporting them optimally with micronutrients, particular ones, uh, figuring out how you can, there is also a software that controls your genes. So, so another software layer for the body and hacking that layer is also where you get a lot of results when you stick to it over time and experiment. It's not about perfection, it's about progress, right? It's doing a few things that work for you, continue iterating, refining them, but use the data to guide you. Eventually you may not need the data anymore for some aspects, like mm -hmm. for instance, for myself, I'm not tracking LPA anymore. 
whatever. It's not needed. At the beginning, I was tracking it diligently, right? So some of these KPIs, they're good in the initial phase to get you going, get you started right now. Um, and so that's what I would say is uh, see if you can get started with some tracking, whatever it is, around mind, body, awareness, and stick to it over many years, right, and evolve it. And this is, at the end of the day, the fun, the fun part because little things accumulate over, over time. They, mm -hmm. You know, there's this interest which is accumulating, compound interest, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is exactly like this is here, because once you put the high-performance mind ideas together, you get this compound interest over time, you get better and better, and then you're surprised, oh my goodness, I, I didn't even know this is possible. Um, but then you're amazed at some point, you're getting on this journey, from my own experience, you're getting, of course, working with clients, you're getting these breakthroughs occasionally, and then those are a motivating factor to continue. Because then at that point, you know you're on, on, onto something. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's great. So start with, start with the metrics to get yourself some consistency and, um, and have some proof for that questioning mind that this is actually bringing you some results. And then over time, the results will just inspire you to keep up with the practice. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. Great to speak to you. Yeah, thanks, Anna, for having me. Thank you. If you would like to get hold of some of those resources that Reiner was describing earlier, then the best place for you to go is https colon forward slash forward slash linktree, which is l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash the mindful leader with the mindful leader all one word. Also, you can contact Reiner directly at info at the mindful leader dot net. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, all of the links that you could possibly need will be included in the show notes. These podcasts are here to help you manage your stress and burnout and your feedback is really valuable. So please rate this podcast and also drop me a note with any questions, suggestions or feedback that you might have. One of the most common questions I get asked is where should I start? And I believe that the best place for you to start is to learn how to soothe your nervous system. I've created a free download with instructions for five different ways that you can do just this, and all of them work pretty much instantly. It's called the Essential Toolkit for Management Consultants. You can download it now at www.hannaholden.co.uk forward slash essential. One last thing, it's the legal language. This podcast is presented solely for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not intended as a substitute for the advice of your doctor, psychotherapist, or other qualified professional.